in three, two, one. Our voice is the most important tool to live a passionate, fulfilled, and authentic life. There's a beautiful, complex, and deeply psychological connection between one's nature, one's voice, and one's community. Our words, the way we share them, and the very sound of our voice can change minds, move mountains, convey important messages, bring audiences to tears, and transform the existence of others. The way we communicate is a direct tool for leadership and change. Once we learn how to use our voice without fear, hesitation, or the belief that we must fit into the mold, that's when the magic happens. To help us understand the power of voice and speak authentically is author, speaker, and coach, Laura Hanke. Well, hi, Laura. Welcome to the podcast. We're delighted to have you as our guest. And our goal with the Becoming Preferred podcast is to give our listeners the tools, the strategies, and tactics to make them preferred in the markets that they serve. So in other words, the emotional favorite. And I've always believed that our voice and speech are essential ingredients to our persona. And so after delving into this topic, I never realized how much there is actually to learn and how little most of us know about it. So thanks for helping us understand what we should be focused on. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Now, I know since you were a young age, you've always been a performer. So whether it was acting or singing, how did you migrate from that and performing to transformational voice? It was kind of a long and winding road, as the Beatles would say, <laughs> because I was, yes, doing all kinds of stage work, performing, singing, everything all through school. But I don't know about so much now, but back when I was growing up, the very traditional path to take was you were told to graduate from high school, go to college, get a good job and go out and work for somebody else and become an employee. Right. So, right. Well, for me, it was insurance claims right. management. But yeah, so that was the road I took for a really long time. And I was never really happy in an office environment. And it wasn't until, well, it was in my 30s, I got back to acting again. But it wasn't until my 40s that I met Linda Bryce, the founder of right. the Transformational Voice Training Institute. And I started singing again and working with her. And when she invited me to be one of the first 12 apprentices when the institute was launched, I had to figure out a way to do both at the same time. Go back to school to become a voice teacher while being a full-time claims adjuster. Well, it was quite a transition. So you became a coach or an instructor with the Transformational Voice by Linda Bryce. Now, from there, what led you to that? Okay, you're sitting there one day and you go, I think I want to be a voice teacher, a transformational voice. What compelled you to go that direction? It really was going to that first class with Linda and just starting to really use my voice again. It's not like I stopped singing in the shower right. or I stopped singing when I'm <laughs> driving or something like that. Right. But to be in a group of people, and I got to say that first class, it was a full class of 12 very committed people. She started out just asking people about their past experiences with their voices. And here we are sitting in a semicircle with 12 people. And the first woman on the left answers the question and starts crying because she's had this traumatic experience oh, with no. her voice in the past. And then the person next to her, some pretty soon we're all like in this bonded emotional bubble. Right. And I realized that there are different ways to approach vocal training. And that Linda Rice had one that was compassionate and holistic 
and took the whole person into consideration and people were treated kindly, not competitively or dubbed, you're the soloist, you're the good singer, you go sing in the back and just move your lips and don't really allow too much sound to come out. And there are schools of music training that lean more towards that way. And I wanted to be a part of what Linda was doing. And I never liked being a claims adjuster that much anyway. So right. it just made absolute and complete sense when she invited me to this opportunity. And my heart just said yes. And so I jumped in and I took a leap of faith and I went through the training and I quit my day job. Well, good for you. It's certainly a big difference from being an insurance adjuster. Now, I know you're committed to helping people unleash their authentic voices. Why is that important to you? I get for yourself. That makes sense. Why is that important to you and why should it be important to us? It's really interesting that all of a sudden we're going back to the same thing about I didn't know I was going to be going here or we were going to be going here. But I really do believe in our society in particular. And I mean, like Western culture, United States, not so much in other countries, but maybe in Canada. I haven't spent that much time there. But we are taught not to necessarily use our authentic voice, gifts, interests, talents, where I think a lot of us grow up feeling like we're being put into a mold mm-hmm. and that maybe we're in an office environment that doesn't align with our internal integrity, but we feel like we need to change what we say and how we say it to fit into that culture. And so when you get into a space where you can be creative and what wants to come through you is being encouraged, that's a whole different ballgame. And it goes into so much more about the voice, because when you're in an environment where you feel like you can't be yourself, Mm -hmm. guess what? That can cause tension in the body. Guess what? Tension does to your voice. It screws it up. And so just this whole idea of being a part of unlocking that feeling like I have to be like somebody else, sound like somebody else, do a certain thing because I'm getting paid for it. Being part of that culture is very exciting to me. No, I could see where that really has a lot of advantage. You know, our whole philosophy around becoming preferred is to make you the individual better so that people choose you. So it's part of the influence, the whole package. And a lot of people put a lot of energy into their physical image, their hair, their clothes, their accessories, their body shape, their teeth, their nails, and yet they fail to consider their vocal image. You know, we agree with you that the sound of your voice is a huge part of the general impression you make on people. We've all heard people who they look good and then they open their mouth and there's not alignment. So enhancing your vocal image is critical to our personal and professional success. And I think what you're talking about, I actually describe this quite a lot. It's a disconnection between the head and the heart. Right. So you can look even maybe sound the best that you can with the right training. But if you're not connected with your own internal message and what you want to say inside, nobody's going to believe you. Yeah, it makes a difference. It goes to confidence as well. How does the role of confidence play? You know, in my mind, confidence radiates from our eyes, our bodies, our total being. And I think that's what you're saying. Mm -hmm. How important is confidence in our self-image when it comes to enhancing our voice or maximizing it or bringing it to its fullest? I'm glad you brought that up because confidence and the voice are so closely related. And I didn't understand this until I went into training and started becoming a voice teacher and going through my own process of vocalization. Mm -hmm. Because in order for me to be a good teacher, I have to work with my instrument to the highest degree that I can. When you stand up to speak, which, as you know, is a huge fear of most people, public speaking, major fear right up there with death and I think insects and heights or the other ones, those are the four biggest. And you get up there 
and you're nervous, which many people are when they have to speak, and you don't have the tools because you haven't worked with your voice enough to know how to use your voice, even when you're in a situation that's going to make you a little nervous, then your confidence just gets less. So every time you stand up to do it, you're feeling bad, but there are tools that you can use to take that voice of yours, even in a situation which is scary, and follow through with it anyway. And I've learned this, really the biggest part of confidence building that I have seen, like in my feedbacks, is from high school kids. Middle school and high school kids where I've taken a workshop into the classroom and boy, do kids not like to talk about themselves in front of their peers. Mm-hmm. Oh, they do not like doing that mm-hmm. at all. Too, <laughs> at least yeah, most too of much them. vulnerability. But guess what? You're on the same boat. Here you are. You're in a safe environment. You're all doing the same thing. You're all nervous. And I'm making them say good things about themselves, like things that they do well. And when you can create that kind of community where it's safe to learn about your voice, that is the biggest piece of feedback I got from those kids is this increased my confidence. Oh, I think that's important. So finding our authentic voice in your mind then is directly linked to being your authentic self. Is that right? There's a huge intertwinement. It's like the inner voice and the outer voice, and they mirror each other. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And so things can affect our voice, like stress and anxiety. If we're feeling stressed out or we're feeling anxious, how does that impact our voice? Well, one of the first things that happens, and this is why breath is such a huge pillar of what I teach. There's the breath, there's onsets, there's the resonance, there's what pitch you're speaking in, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. But one of the first things that happens, and it's just a natural physical reaction when people are fearful, like someone tries to take a punch at you. Your abdominus rectus muscle is going to clench. Right. That's your six-pack ab thing. Right. And so when that muscle clenches, it blocks off the flow of air. Do you want to try playing around with something just a little bit? Sure, whatever you like, yeah. (laughs) Well, just for fun. So just say something, anything. It can be ma, 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 me, oh, my. I don't care what it is. And then as you're talking, suck your six-pack abs like you're just trying to hold yourself really tight and see what happens to your voice. All right. Well, I'm going to read from your bio here. So I'm sucking it in and it, mine's not a six pack. It's more of a keg just to <laughs> think, but it goes, I don't think I ever had a six pack, but I'm sucking it in. And I go, so this is your bio and what you do. I work with speakers, actors, holistic coaches, writers, and burgeoning really, singers. With- really tighten it. All right. I work with speakers, actors, holistic coaches, writers, and burgeoning singers with the body, mind, spirit approach. That's tough to do. Yeah. And so people are up talking and they're getting nervous and their muscles in their body, especially. And for me, it's my shoulders. My shoulders will get really tight. So I have to consciously always relax these areas in my body that are restricting my breath flow, which impacts the quality of your voice. And these are all things that you can practice in a safe environment in front of other people. So it's a muscle memory thing. I teach people how to keep those ribs out, that belly relaxed, and that breath continuously flowing. And if you keep doing it over and over often enough, your body starts to know what to do. And you don't have to think about it anymore. How cool is that? Yeah, it goes on autopilot. And there's exercises, and you're talking about alignment, I think, where, for instance, if you're on the telephone, you got your head kinked. 
and people get fatigued when they're talking on the phone. So I know it's a common complaint with people who are on the telephone a lot, and they're going, I get so tired talking on the phone. Well, if you looked at your posture, how you're standing, and that's why if I'm doing an important phone call, I like to stand up and walk around. So I have the headset, keep my hands free. I'm working, I'm animated, the energy is different. It's better, right? Exactly. And, yeah. yeah. No, that makes sense. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring Active Campaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? Active Campaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e commerce, B2C, and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. Active Campaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose Active Campaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the Active Campaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. Now, I know you love to help people stop being afraid of themselves and inspire them to express their authentic voices in the world. How do you do that? How do you get people to stop being afraid of themselves? That's a loaded question. And of course, with every student I work with, everything is different. Yeah. There's so many different variables because people have different backgrounds. They have different right. traumas that happen to them. Like mm -hmm. I mentioned that gal that was crying in that first voice class. Somebody told her something horrible about her voice and it was an authority figure when she was a young person. Right. So that's going to show up differently in her than it's going to show up in a different student. The first two things that came to my mind when I heard you asked that question, which of course I didn't know you were going to ask that question, is I'll start out by just asking two questions and then I'll get into it a little bit more sure. deeply. There's two different points here. The first one is, have you noticed, like we met on LinkedIn, right. have you noticed how much storytelling is becoming a thing right now? Yes, have it's big. Yeah. Storytelling is huge right now. And my next question relates to the fact, and this is all part of your answer to your question, Sure, is you said you have a background in stage, right? right? So to me, and I'd be curious to hear what you think, to me, one of the biggest differences between what makes a performance authentic and what makes it not authentic, like you're sitting there in the audience going, I'm not buying a second of this, yep. is because that actor is either up there feeling something or they're not. Right. Does that? Does yeah, that no, it makes sense. Well, it's being in the character, right? So when you're doing the stage, you get into the mindset and the character and your focus. And so when you're authentic self, you're getting back into yourself. Don't be that persona that you're not. And I think you're talking about with stories. We love stories. We've been big proponents of stories for a long time. We're taught everywhere. We're raised with stories, our movies, our TV shows, our books. Everything's a story. If I say to you, I'm going to give you a lecture, you're going, uh, or here's five points to help you do this. But I say, let me tell you a story. Everybody wants to listen to the story. What's the story? Because we love stories. Yes. So you do sales training. Right. So you can give a salesperson the best possible technique. You can give them right. the four bullets to closing the sale. You can give them the blah, 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 blah. But if all they're doing is going through that routine that you gave them with believing what they're saying. Right. So if you want to be in alignment and you want people to believe you, to prefer you, to believe what you're saying, tell a personal story. 
Right. And I think that's why storytelling is so big right now, because people are craving people who are authentic and are willing to tell their own story and show the vulnerability yeah. that also equates with really being emotionally involved with what you're saying while you're saying it. Right. So if you're an actor and you're up there and you've got your lines memorized, you're blocking absolutely perfectly, and you're delivering your lines right on cue, you're right on your mark, but you're not feeling a gosh darn thing that you're saying, your audience isn't going to believe you. They're not going to be engaged with you. So to me, the storytelling and the emotional involvement are the answer to your question. No, it's good in order to not be afraid. When it comes to developing a powerful voice and using voice and speech, and we'll get into that, how important is it to link that or to find your purpose? I think that has to do with being in the moment. Being present. Yes. No one has ever asked me this question before. And it's interesting because my purpose, one of them is definitely to help people unleash their authentic voices. Right. And I can do that in a myriad of ways. I can do that through a touching performance that touches them emotionally. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I can do that through a blog post that I'm writing. I can do that through an individual voice lesson. But if you're fully present in the moment, because why am I here right now doing this podcast with you? Right. Well, obviously, I have a reason for being here because I like to talk about this stuff. And it's a way for me to spread word about my work, etc. But I just need to be here present in this particular moment with what you're saying, and the questions that you're asking me, and then something authentic is going to come out of me. Right. Right. So, I mean, I could be sitting here thinking, what do I want to do for dinner tonight? Should I make a grocery list? Right, right, right. right, (laughs) No, it's like I have a purpose for being here. And now that I'm here, I'm going to be fully present in each moment. And that is how your purposefulness is going to come through. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think a lot of people struggle with finding their purpose. They're showing up to going to work, trying to pay the bills, they're raising their families. They might be single moms, single dads, single parents. Life can be tough. Life can be a challenge. So to be able to go in purpose purposefully, it can be a challenge sometimes, but I think it's important if you do understand your overall purpose, as well as your purpose in the moment, I think it makes a difference on your voice. And I think it also goes to defining your values in order to find your authentic voice. In other words, if you understand your values, how important is that in the equation? Can I add on to my answer? Yes, please. Because you're turning this into a really interesting topic that I think is really huge and overreaching. I mean, the voice and the purpose. Wow. How are those connected? So here's a perfect example for me. Okay. As a voice teacher, I'm in this mastermind group and we all help each other keep on track with our goals and dreams. Right. Well, in a previous reincarnation, it was just me and one other woman who both happen to have theater backgrounds. Mm-hmm. We happen to be talking about this thing that I brought up earlier about how we're raised to go to school and get a job and graduate from college and all that stuff. And in having this conversation, which we were both very present in, and it made us both very animated, we got very passionate about this conversation. All of a sudden, we decided we were going to write a play. We ended up writing not just one play, but two short plays that I didn't know this was part of my purpose. Right. I had no idea until that conversation happened. And here we are both speaking our authentic truth in our authentic voices. This topic comes up. We write these plays. And we just produced them for the Fertile Ground Festival here in Portland earlier this year. That wouldn't have happened if I wouldn't have been in a place where I had already been 
using my voice, inner and outer, and having this conversation, and we follow through on the impulse. Because the more you use your authentic voice, and you're discovering how you want to use it, you're going to surround yourself with other people who are doing the same thing, right? And then all of a sudden, this opportunity comes up to write a play. They turned out fabulous for two first-time playwrights. Well, that's interesting. Well, and it goes to my next question. Words are energy and words have power. I can say I love you and it means something. You can create an effect, right? An emotion. I can say I hate you and we have another whole conversation going. So if words have power, then how do power words or are there power words that we should be focused on? How important is it to choose words that are powerful words and are impactful? Oh, I think it's very important. And I think that's why there are people who make professions out of this, helping people choose the right word. And one that comes to mind is a voice student of mine who's a TEDx speaker coach. Uh So when someone is getting up to do their big, powerful TEDx speaker, she helps them formulate the words and how to deliver that. Another is a guy in Canada, actually, he's in the Toronto area, who also does resilience work and work with helping people craft their speeches. For me, I'm an avid reader. I mean, you'll find me reading at least two, three, four, five books at any given moment. It's a business book. It's a novel. It's self-help, a psychological, spiritual help, whatever. So mm-hmm. I'm constantly reading, constantly increasing my vocabulary. But I think when you are getting accustomed to standing up in front of people and using your voice and you're starting to maybe write speeches or whatever it is, your vocabulary is going to increase, but also you're going to understand those words that make the emotional impact. Right. It's an emotional impact. And as, as a performer, not so much as a voice teacher, but, and I obviously sing a lot of songs and teach people who sing a lot of songs. So you get to know more about music and why lyricists chose the lyrics that they do. But to me, really the huge part of it is the the emotional impact that you want to make. Well, and I think that goes to our inflection too, right? We can say the same sentence, 10 different ways and where we put emphasis and inflection. Talk about the importance of those characteristics in our speech patterns or using our voice. I think a lot of it comes down to rehearsal, Mm -hmm. number one. So I always tell my students who are speakers, of course, actors, that when, I know I keep going back to this emotional piece, but I think it's really important. Mm -hmm. When you are rehearsing, you should stand up be in the emotional space and the physical space that you would be as if you were giving this speech. And I like to write mine down. I usually write first because I am a writer. And so I go through it and I write my speech and then I go back and I take out all the words that aren't appropriate. But then I read it aloud to myself and I put myself in that emotional spot as if I were giving it. And guess what? If I make myself laugh, chances are pretty darn good. Somebody else is going to laugh. It's going to be funny, right? Yeah. Or if it's like it brings a tear to my eye because, oh, that was a really true, sad story that relates to my point. It's probably going to impact other people, too. But then you rehearse it with other people and you let them tell you. You mentioned earlier too a lot of people get anxious speaking. I think it was Seinfeld who said fear of speaking was number one. Fear of dying was number two. So the only thing worse than that was speaking at your own funeral. And (laughs) But people have anxiety about how we speak, and it prevents many of us from expressing ourselves well. And so what are some of the strategies we can use to deal with anxiety? You've talked about breathing and relaxing. Maybe talk about the clarity of diction and how do we get that and vocal flexibility in order to achieve some good speech. I think one of the best ways... 
again is to rehearse with others. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to recommend for your listeners who may not be aware of it is Toastmasters. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is a great organization where you can go and you can practice in a safe environment. And the more you do that, the easier it's going to get. But as far as diction, those are things like the some is somebody telling you that they can't understand what you're saying? Well, you need to know that. And this is addiction is a whole different topic as far as vocal training, because there are actually vowel confirmations that your mouth forms different words in right. different ways. Like you may not know there's a smiley vowel and there's a lip rounded vowel and there's a neutral vowel. And there's all these things you learn about how to properly pronounce your words, which you have to do when you're singing. I mean, singing is a whole different thing in regards to speaking when it comes to allowing yourself to be understood. Because if I'm up in my third register and I'm singing a high note and it happens to be an E, it's not going to come out like an E, but I have to make it sound like an E so people can understand those lyrics. So part of it is just slowing down and breathing. Right. Part of it is learning how to properly pronounce the words and rehearsing it. Right. And I really do think that slowing down part is big for people who mumble or can't. Yeah, well, mumbling's an issue. I've met many folks that when they talk, it's mumbling. They miss a bunch of consonants and it's enunciation, right? And Yes, you need to pronounce your words. (laughs) <laughs> right. Take a slow down. Well, and the exercises are important. And when I delved into this and in doing some research, I was amazed at actually the deeper I went, the deeper I went, and that there was so many variables. It's an art and science all to itself. There was a term called mouth calisthenics. And I thought, this is great. It's really if we want to common habits that interfere with clear voice and speeches are decreased mouth movement, as you've talked about. So a lot of people hold the tension in their jaw and their mouth and the tension yes. prevents them from moving enough to make sounds accurately and clearly. So we need to learn what some of those exercises are and how the jaw works and the move and what kind of sounds you can make. I've always thought it was interesting with singers. You get somebody from like Ireland or England and has a thick English accent and then they sing and you don't pick up the accent at all. Yeah, they lose their accents when they sing. So mumbling, we talked about how it affects us and what we can do about it. So it's really a lack of precision with your consonants and slowing it down a little bit. That always helps too. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about your voice itself and maybe some quick fixes on what we can do to improve our voice. And are there some things that we should always be paying attention to that are must-dos? Yes. And I'm only going to mention two. I mean, we already talked about the breath. So really that is number one. Right. Aside from the two I'm going to go into now, you just have to remember what is carrying the sound of your voice. It's your breath. Your breath is the river that's carrying the sound of your voice. So you have to have proper breath flow. That's utterly critical. And it helps calm you down. Right. Three, five deep breaths, that'll take your brainwave state right from beta into alpha, and you're going to calm down immediately if you practice this, okay? Mm -hmm. But the other two. So I really need to talk about vocal fry a little bit. Sure. (laughs) It's, It's one of those topics that I can't seem to ever not talk about because it's so prevalent. And this sometimes has to do with lack of breath lack of resonance, which I'm going to talk about next. But sometimes it has to do with people thinking they need to talk lower. Right. I need to lower my voice so people will take me seriously. Do I sound more serious now? Is anybody going to take me no, more serious? I mean, it, it, no. it, it ages us. Yeah. It's awful. So don't <laughs> do that. Do not artificially lower your voice, your voice and drop into vocal fry. And I mean, if you can, if you can hear this, doesn't it kind of sound like my voice is all pulled back here? Right. 
Yeah. So don't do that. As you start working with your vocal technique, your authentic voice will start to come out on its own. As you understand physically and get it into cell memory, this natural technique, how your body really wants to create sound. So don't push your voice down artificially and go into vocal fry. I heard that to find your kind of resonance that you're talking about, a good exercise was to hum and feel the vibration. And so you hum and you feel where your throat and the vocal cords are vibrating and then speak from that place. Like a lot of people, male and female, will talk and sometimes they sound very nasally or really high-pitched and their voice is not aligned with who they are. And it just seems off. There's something wrong with that pitch and we don't like listening to them. It's like, why do we buy from one salesperson over a different salesperson? Why do we choose one news anchor or broadcaster over another? Why do we like them? And a lot of times it's the resonance that they have. That's the word. It's resonance. I was just curious why we tend to like those with deeper voices, why that's important. Like if you look at some of the best voices from the actors, they got those great voices, right? And it's even like, say, Kiefer Sutherland. A lot of these actors smoke. And I know smoke is terrible, terrible. Any kind of smoking is really bad on your vocal cords and can cause irreparable damage. But for some reason, it makes their voices sound good from a broadcast perspective. How does resonance play into that? Or does that affect the resonance? That is a question I have often wondered about myself. Because for many, many years, there is that one guy who did all the movie trailers. Right. He's passed away now. I can't remember the guy's name. I think he did like a Geico commercial or something. And that's how I equate it. Oh, my gosh. That's the guy who does all the movie trailers. And he is absolutely 100% a base. Yeah. James Earl Jones is a bass. Yeah, great voice. Johnny Cash was a bass. I mean, the lead singer of the Crash Test Dummies. Well, he's a bass, but only 3% of men are basses. And only 3% of women are contraltos or altos. Karen Carpenter, right. Cher. So it's a rare voice type. And sometimes I wonder if that's part of the reason it's appealing to people. And of course, there's just the matter of sound waves that, I mean, sound waves and sound energy is a whole different topic that I don't even hardly know enough to touch on. But I wonder if it's something to do with the rareness of the voice type that we find it appealing because we don't hear it very often. So the rarity of that voice in the sound, we're going, oh, that sounds nice, are appealing. Let's talk about volume and cadence and how important that is. Like as speakers, if you're in a loud audience or you're in a bar or restaurant, or you're an outdoor event, we tend to talk louder, which of course can cause damage to our voices if we're not using our breath. As speakers, if you're given a presentation and you're in a room or you're given a presentation at work, the acoustics can have an impact. Yes. And I know as professional speakers, we can learn sometimes to self-modulate, is the word I want to use here, but I can adjust to the acoustics in a room. But if it's too big, I always use a microphone so you're not straining your voice. The second part of that is cadence, the speed at which you speak. Now, I tend to speak really quick. So when I'm doing an engagement, but I find it keeps the audience engaged. They're trying to catch up all the time. They're trying to listen and it keeps them there. But I've had to learn to slow it down just a little bit. But if someone's too slow, you're already falling asleep. So how does volume and cadence come into our authentic voice and what should we be focused on with that? Well, and I think both of those things lead right back to what we were starting to say with the mm, the humming. It's all about resonance. So that is the piece that helps with everything for speakers. And I'll get to cadence in just a second. But in order for you to take all the pressure off your vocal folds and to be able to modulate your volume much more easily and be able to be heard when you're speaking 
powerfully and loud or when you're speaking softer is you have to be in resonance all the time. And it's interesting that you mentioned nasally because nasal actually helps you get into the resonance space. To the head area. Mm-hmm. And it's all this space up inside your head, your sinus cavity. So when I'm in, when I'm in vocal fry, I have no resonance, right? Right. But then I can point my sound right here. And I happen to be in a room with carpet But if I was in a room with a wooden floor that had really good acoustics, you'd be able to hear that resonant sound just bouncing all over the place. And when you're up there, and the reason I think you have gotten accustomed to the The humming place, you feel feel a buzz, right? Yeah, it's a little vibration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what you want to feel when you're speaking. You want to be in that resonant space. And you can use M and N words, words that start with M and N. My mommy, my, oh my, money, 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 nanny. That all gets you right there. And when you're in that resonant space, your voice is going to carry across the room so much better. People can hear you back there. And then you keep it resonant when you decide you want to talk quiet and really make a point. Right. For emphasis. There's your cadence. Your cadence is you've prepared your speech. You've rehearsed. You know where your emotional touch points are. You're there present in the now, emotionally expressive in the middle of your speech, and you've rehearsed it enough so that when to stop. Right. Or when, hey, I'm going to tell you a little story. Let's make, oh, you're not going to believe what happened. (laughs) Right. There you go. No, it makes a difference. A good example of that, I saw Michael Buble in concert before the pandemic. And he had his beautiful band going and the music was good. And he's such a great voice, right? Little crooner voice. Love him. And big auditor, I'm talking 17,000 people. He was, the place was packed. And all of a sudden he stops the band and he walks away from the microphone and he goes to the edge of the stage without a microphone. And of course it's quiet and everyone's just quiet. What's he doing? And he continues to sing the whole next verse without a mic and without a band, but in an arena with 17, 18,000 people in it. And you could hear a pin drop and my seats were okay. They were first level, but kind of halfway up, but you could hear every word and the place was mesmerized. They just listened to him and using yeah. his, his tone and the volume and the was, and when he'd finished, everyone gave him a standing ovation. I mean, it was amazing. So the voice and how you use that instrument really, really does matter. Now, a couple of things I want to touch on. You talked about breathing. Do we breathe through our nose or our mouth? Is there a right way to breathe? And I know there's lots of breathing exercises when it comes to our voice, Do you have a recommendation? Should we be breathing through our nose or mouth? I have lots of recommendations on breathing, but yes, absolutely through your nose. And what I'm going to do is recommend a book called Breath by James Nestor. Sure. This man must have done 10 years of research while he was writing this book. And he goes through so many examples of how mouth breathing leads to sleep apnea and asthma. And I mean, the list of what is damaging about mouth breathing is so large. I'm just going to refer you to the book because he's written the book on that subject. But okay, let's just say sometimes I'm out walking at Tryon Park and I'm taking a hill and I get a little winded. I'm going to breathe through my mouth to get more air into my lungs more quickly. Right. Let's say you're in a production and you suddenly had to go to the bathroom or something. You didn't know you were going to have to, and you hear your cue coming up and you have to be on stage in 30 seconds and you're racing out of the bathroom and you're trying to get there so you can stop and make your entrance like you would to get under the light when you're supposed to be under the light and hit your mark. You're going to want to take a few nice mouth breaths, (laughs) walking in so that you can get more air into your lungs more quickly. But 
for meditative purposes, also just breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth helps calm those nerves. No, it does make a difference. We'll put the book information in the show notes as well as your contact information as well. So no, that's important. So we've talked about breathing. We've talked about cadence. We've talked about your volume. Talked about emphasis, and I think they call it intonation, where we make every word sound good. So I learned at a very early age to enunciate everything, right? Like every (laughs) single word. And sometimes I'll say the words wrong, and depending on where your accent is. But it's speaking clearly. And I know when we're presenting, sometimes it's easy to get nervous or somebody asks us a question. And it's about taking that breath and breathing out and using that breath and coming from the lower place. I think you call it, is it the lower breath? Yeah, I just refer to it as breathing with a relaxed core. I mean, it's sometimes people say belly breathing, but that's kind of a misnomer. But on the other hand, I mean, just as an example, if I get a student and I'm just starting to teach in person again now, post COVID a little bit, I put them down on the floor on a yoga mat at their very first lesson so they can watch what's happening or feel rather feel what's happening with their body while they're breathing. And when you inhale, your belly should literally go up to the ceiling when you're laying on the floor on a mat. So you inhale, your belly goes up. And then as you're exhaling and you're vocalizing, because you can't talk and inhale at the same time. So clearly you're going to be exhaling while you're vocalizing, that belly will start to come down. That's interesting. Now, are there things we can do to protect our voice? Now, for instance, when I'm speaking, I usually have some honey and hot water and lemon sitting there just to kind of keep the throat clear and it's there in case of emergency. I might have a lozenge in my mouth that I'm going to use to keep it moist. Because I know there's some enemies to our vocal cords, right? We've got smoke, you've got... um, Dehydration. Yeah, exactly. You've got things, our diet, if we're into heavy dairy, acid reflux, all of these are things that can affect your voice and the quality of your voice. And what a lot of people don't realize is when you want to sell your ideas, whether it's influencing someone, a conversation, and you want to create that connection it's important to have a voice that's really maximized to your full potential. And Mm -hmm. do we all have that? Is that something that's inside all of us? And have you met students? And I know in your workshops or your group settings or your corporate programs that maybe they're timid, the confidence isn't there, but after they've gone through your training and your coaching that they've emerged and that voice shows up and you're like, surprises everybody. Yeah. Yes. That, that actually happens pretty, pretty regularly, especially when I can get people into a group environment. And it's really amazing how much difference being in a group can make. I know it surprised my teacher when she started teaching classes and I've certainly seen it because you would think it would be scarier to start working with your voice around other people. But the weird thing is, and and it's up to me as a facilitator to make sure that environment is a non-judgmental, safe environment where everyone feels comfortable. Because the odd thing is when someone's up there in front of the rest of the class and they've got vocal issues, like I know I keep doing the vocal fry thing, but it's like if someone has got a bunch of gunk on their vocal folds and they're speaking poorly in front of the group, it's almost like you can feel it in your own throat. It's like it makes you want to go. Right. Makes you look like, yeah. And so when somebody gets up there and they make a breakthrough because suddenly their posture has changed and they're allowing that breath to come through them and they're in that red space and all of a sudden that authentic voice comes ringing out, even if it's just for one sentence or one word, everybody in the room will just look at them and applaud. 
because it can happen so quickly. But back to also your question about what you should avoid. I have found for me personally and in my students, too much coffee can be problematic and it can cause dehydration. I mean, it's amazing how much not having enough water and most of us are chronically dehydrated. Right. I have really had to learn to start drinking a lot more water especially since I'm starting to perform again a little bit more. So that's huge. And honestly, saltwater gargles are really good. Believe it or not. Yeah. And another thing is, and this is for me personally, I happen to have really active sinuses. So I've got a lot of <laughs> I hear you, me too. And, yeah. and that, can, so, that can collect on your vocal folds. That's an issue for me personally. Yeah. I almost kind of am starting to wonder if I'm allergic to cats, but I would never get rid of my cat. No, <laughs> you'll really suffer. Need. You'll suffer. Yeah, you, you use a neti pot or one of yeah. those safety rinses yeah. that just go through one side of your sinus to the other and then gargle with salt water and really try and stay really, really well hydrated. And I probably would not eat a cup of Greek yogurt right before I wanted to sing. Sure. Or when I talk fast, I tend to talk at a higher pitch. So a lot of people do. It's interesting. But here's another thing you can do, honestly, and I'm cautious about uh, recommending this, but if you try this and you got to cup your hands around the back of your ears and keep them real tight, you can't do that because you have a headset on, Sure. but I'm doing this right now. And it's like, I'm pulling my ears a little bit forward and I can hear myself inside my own head. Right. And so what I'm noticing right now is I think my voice is actually much louder than I thought I was. Right. I sound great. I once had an eardrum rupture and I couldn't hear anything. And in my right ear, just before I went on about an hour before it came off an airplane, sinuses were giving me trouble and I, it blocked everything. And I could hear myself inside myself. And that's how I had someone at the back of the room giving me a thumbs up for volume or a thumbs down. But I could hear myself when I could feel that vibration. So the audience had no clue whatsoever. Very interesting stuff. This has been very, very informative. We know the importance of the voice and what we can do, and there's lots that you can do for it. Now, I know you work with speakers and you do work with actors and you offer private one-on-one lessons, small group training, extended workshops for schools or different organizations if they want their people to present well. And I believe you also offer a complimentary session, a 30-minute session. Tell us quickly about that. Oh, yeah. I do that for everybody. Because if you're going to start working with a voice teacher, it's one of the most personal things you can do. It's kind of like having a good dentist or a good gynecologist. I think (laughs) you have to be a really good match. And there are certain kinds of voice students that I interact with best. And there's certain other kinds that other teachers interact with best. So, yeah, it's just via Zoom. It's uh, 30 minutes and we'll get to know each other and cover whatever you want to cover and talk about your voice. And I also give a lot of free value in that half an hour. I know you do. How do we find you? LauraHandKey.com. All right. And we'll put that information. So it's Laura and it's H-A-N-D, like the hand with a K-E on the end. Right. And Laura Hankey. And they can get hold of you at your website. And we'll put that at LauraHankey.com. They can book a consultation with you. Laura, this has certainly been interesting and informative. Thank you for helping us gain a further understanding of our voice and speech and all the complexities that go along with it and why it's in our best interest to pay attention to it. And We need to transform for where we are today and transform that to our authentic self. And then we'll be able to reap the rewards that come from that. Awesome. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My production team is Beth Smith and Kendra Vickers. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting.